Welcome to PR360, a weekly interview podcast dedicated to talking about the important topics within the public relations technology industry, hosted by Brett Deister and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find out more information at globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister, and with me I have Sarah Evans, and she is a digital PR strategist, consultant, global brand correspondent, and keynote speaker. She's worked with a host of companies, including Cox Communication, MGM International, Cisco, SAP, Walmart, Shorty Wards, and more. And she's also raised $161,000 for crisis centers. And she's also holds the Guinness Book of World Record for Beat Cancer Team. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me, Brett. It's great to be here. We're actually happy that you're here as well. And my first question is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I am all the way tea. I actually just started getting into caffeine this past year. So I was doing just herbal teas only. Mm -hmm. So what is your favorite teas that you like to drink? I like rooibos. I don't know if I say that correctly. It's a South African herbal tea. And I think it has some sort of medicinal properties, but I just find it's really calming and settling and I can have it at any time of the day. Nice. And what have been some of your more memorable successes in your career? Goodness, we've had lots of ups and downs. Owning a company for 11 years and I am the primary face and workload of all of it. I, I think some of the success is simply the longevity of what I've been doing. I actually was very anxious the first, I'd say, 12 months because that's when the majority of new businesses fail. So nervous about that going under that I just worked so hard. I was excited to see it end up successful. I think as there have been economic changes in the past 10 years, the changing landscape simply of digital media, digital PR, the integration of social media, I've had to pivot a few times. So I think the success is just having the business 11 years. And then the caliber of clients we get to work with. I love working with the big brands, but that also allows me the opportunity to work with the startups that we get to work with, the majority of which are either self-funded or or fully funded. But I love the passion and energy of those new and upcoming groups partnered with working with big brands who trust me to do really fun, strategic things for them. So that's been a big win. Mm, So basically owning your own business is kind of like your highlight, it seems like, that you're successful in your own business. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fair to say. It's something that has been a source of pride for me coming from corporate comms. And you always wonder every year, like, will will we make it? Will this work? And the fact that it keeps going is, is proof enough for me. All right. And what's your feeling about the PR industry during this time of lockdown kind of opening up, but not really opening up yet, but slowly opening up? It's been an interesting journey. I live in Las Vegas. So as you can imagine, the hospitality industry, the hotel industry has been hit quite hard. From a PR component or PR view, I have so many peers who were exclusive hospitality who lost their jobs, who lost their entire 
source of income overnight due to mass closures. And it's been interesting working with them to either pivot or get temporary work in the interim. So as we start to open up, no matter how slowly that is, I'm, I'm most looking forward to all of them finding work again and having their incomes return. I am on the slow moving side. I moved my office home at the beginning of March and that was a transition for me. I'm working from my battle station kitchen table and I'm watching the industry from a tech component because the majority of our clients are tech and watching to see what they're doing. And those that have either tangentially or directly been part of solving a COVID problem have really flourished during this time because there's been a need for them. So it's a really interesting dichotomy watching Vegas really struggle and have clients who are doing it exceptionally well and finding some sort of balance there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of those interesting times where all in we're like, how do we navigate this and make messaging important, but not so selly because people are like, we don't want you to sell us anything because things are happening that we can't control. Yeah. Yeah. And I might not be able to afford it right now. Right. I mean, it's, it's real. And what is the state of branding in 2020? I think everyone needs to take a step back and think about what branding is in 2020. We made internally something I called our emotional compass, something that we look at before pitching a story or doing any sort of outreach. And really at its core, it's just being mindful of what, people are feeling. While we should always be mindful of that, it's just highly elevated right now with mass unemployment and furloughed, people who are sick or ill or who have a loved one who's sick or ill, people who may be just anxious, depressed, or unsure about the future. And as you think about your brand, it's important to be mindful of those things, that this is not just a quick blip in time, but it's going to impact people for many months, possibly years to come. And making sure if you're telling a success story that it's done so tastefully or being mindful of those that it could maybe rub the wrong way. Um, if you're doing funding announcements, it's important to note why why it's important right now. Maybe is it impacting or helping those who are impacted by COVID or who are experiencing some of those symptoms? So everything that we do from a branding or story perspective kind of runs through that emotional compass and looks at where it fits in the spectrum of where people are right now and where the media cycle is right now. And when it comes to more like strategizing during this, how is the strategy for branding kind of changed with COVID-19? Is there a different pivot to strategizing the branding than it was before? I think, I don't know that I have the best answer for this right now. I mean, branding in and of itself creates this connection and recognition to something. So I think about where do I want that connection to be? And what do I want it to be? And if it goes, if it still has to run through that gamut of that emotional compass I just mentioned, I think it's important that they match up. I mean, if you are completely toned up right now and you're creating a brand that there's no need for, or there's no one who can relate to it, it's not going to be successful. So you can still use the inherent best practices of branding strategy, but it has to match the nature of what's happening in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And what do you think are the biggest hurdles for digital PR strategies right now? What do you think eventually is going to happen with all this stuff? Do you think it's going to be more about 
how do we get back to normal or is it going to be how are we going to like message the post pandemic i think is the best way of saying well i think part of the problems or the issues the past two and a half months have simply been the media cycle it is not the same as always and we've had to keep a litmus test daily on where and what the media is talking about what stories are they looking for in and it's changing depending on what kind of outlet it is, tier one, tier two, is it a podcast, a medium writer? You know, all of those needs are inherently different. And then the mass number of journalism layoffs at large and small local and national news outlets. So we've had to do a lot of change and support and, and looking for that triaging. How do we tell stories, telling clients if a story isn't possible right now? So there's the media relations side of things. And then there is somewhat, if you look at the bright side of things, the opportunity to take a step back and refocus and re-strategize and get back of the house things in order that you simply typically don't have time for, making sure your media lists are up to date, that your messaging is on point, or looking at creating some sort of internal, maybe quick hit editorial calendar. What kind of stories do you have to tell on the human interest side? Not just touting success. Do you have launches? Do you have funding announcements? Do you have major new hires? Whereas maybe in the past, hiring a new CEO or president would simply get you a mention in a trade publication, making a significant hire during times of economic hardship may be more interesting, especially if that person maybe lives not in the market where their HQ is and they have to work remotely at the beginning because of COVID-19. So there's all sorts of various new angles and opportunities and things that we can look for to ideate and innovate. It really tests the skill set of the PR professional right now. Mm-hmm. And when shifting to ads, have you seen that most companies have just put their digital ads on hold for the time being? It's a great question. And interestingly enough, I was talking to another peer and I don't know that they've necessarily put them on hold. I've noticed a direct shift into earned and organic, that they've reallocated some money. And that's anecdotal based on where we're seeing our budgets right now. Coming from that side, there may be ads that coincide with that on a softer side, but certainly the brands that I'm working with right now have reallocated and aren't dedicating the same amount to paid. Do you think it's wise to reallocate away from paid or do you think they should still leave it at the same level as it was before? I don't think that there is a definitive answer for that. If you are a brand and you're doing paid and it is working, I say stay the course. It's about experimentation and looking at that peso model and seeing what's working, especially if you're new or emerging brand, you have to test all of those things out, right? To see what's going to work for you. And you can't have one without the other. If you've got a great media placement and that offers third-party validation, maybe a paid ad campaign coincides really well with that and helps result in traction, visit, or sales on your site. So it's important to maybe not think definitively about that. Test the waters and test them weekly and see what works. Mm -hmm. And about the post-pandemic, how should companies approach advertising for the post-pandemic or reopening? How should those ads be approached? Number one, As a litmus test in a very unknown time, I would look at what the big brands are doing and see what is working and not working. That's part of, I guess, a blessing in disguise if you're not a large brand right now. 
And if people are going to make mistakes, they're going to make them on a grander scale if they're large brands. You can see what they're doing, what's, what's working and what's not. And again, it just goes back to this idea of testing. I mean, A-B testing is not new and you can use that in your messaging and your branding and your marketing and your advertising and in your PR. I mean, I view PR as what keeps people coming back and what is the heart, the connector that brings people back to your brand, that is the source of messaging, the source of listening. And it's important to just acknowledge or realize where your core customers, your core audience, what they may be experiencing right now, or the majority of them. The best thing we can do right now is ask people, ask them how they're feeling, what they need, what can we do? We see so many stories of brands pivoting to help where people are right now and brands pivoting to create new products based on consumer need or urgency or health and medical. So it's just important to listen, to ask questions, to think and be mindful of everything that we put out there. And could listening through the ads and the data through the ads help you pivot to what customers or your customers need? They could. One way to do that, I also love to go direct to the source. Can you do personal outreach? I'd say there's never been a time since maybe I was young where I've been excited to get the mail and look for cards and letters and other even direct mail pieces people are seeing right now. Phone calls. What's old is new again, simply because we are more isolated. And yes, things are slowly reopening, but we're going to see residuals from, from being more alone separated right now. So think about different ways you can do that versus just the traditional method. There are opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It always sounds like we should be listening more than talking like the old adage that is said, you have two ears, but one mouth. I totally agree. And I think that every time I'm talking, I always think, gosh, I, I wonder what people listening are thinking and what questions they have. Um, the one piece that I missed. It's true. We always think that, especially podcast hosts. We're like, I wonder what they're actually thinking. But moving on to more messaging about the post-pandemic, do you think there should be more about phases for the messaging as with phases with the reopening? Do you think the messaging should have the phases as well coinciding with that? You know, I think based on just years of experience, I believe that I typically treat messaging in phases inherently. We might talk about that in terms of editorial calendar or different months where we're talking about different messaging. I think for a lot of comms pros, especially corporate comms and PR folks, that's inherent in our nature to roll things out in in phases. So we may continue that or break them up even smaller. Things can change from week to week right now, right? We don't know what's coming down the pipeline or what maybe potentially tragic things are going to happen. So it might not bode well to plan a month or a quarter at a time, but maybe weekly or bi-monthly. Mm-hmm. And for the live streaming, we've seen during the lockdown, the live streaming just kind of blew up with a lot of companies that started using it a lot more. Do you think that's here to stay? Do you think they're going to do weekly or monthly or bi-monthly, whatever they decide their cadence for companies? I would love to see more of that. I think that will correlate with the number of people who remain working from home or remote. Depends what type of captive audience remains. Maybe people start to build that into their workday, even if they return to the office. But I'd love to see more of it. It's definitely a cost saving for companies. And then we reserve 
the in real life moments were truly important things. I don't know about you, but in years past, I definitely reached conference burnout where you're attending so many things, you start to question the value of everything. And I know that that is a source of income for for many, and it impacts the brands and companies affiliated with them. But I challenge people to think of what's really necessary and important and what works. And in fact, I mean, I've had more time with my family more than ever, and that's been beautiful. And I'm very thankful for that. So I'd love to see live streams, but I'd love to see them change and evolve. And I am really excited to be working with a few brands right now that are are pushing the limits right now and looking for ways to really do more innovative live streams. And what for companies that are actually trying to figure it out, they live streaming during the lockdown, is there any like small tips for people who are looking or businesses who are looking to do live streaming? Sure. It's not too late. You can, you can always get on that boat and test things out. And I can just tell you some best practices that I've seen right now um, with several of the live streams that I've participated in. One is dedicating a significant amount of time, or I just participated in one yesterday that was five hours of learning and it was orchestrated and produced very well. But there were other breakout sessions that took place inside the live stream to allow people to connect around particular topics or areas of interest and Behind the scenes, there was so much more done to connect the participants because for the sheer nature of everyone's home, everyone's remote, there were more list communications, emails, ways of contact set up to really connect people and allow them to make use of participating. And really, when we attend those conferences, especially from PR or business standpoint, we're looking for sales opportunities, media connections, new resources, and you're hustling all day to meet those people. And now these things are just being presented to you very quickly in in these moments. The other thing I've seen and I love from a planning perspective is the live stream producers and planning committee are sitting down and essentially sitting with a whiteboard and say, okay, we are not taking what was our in real life content and simply filming it for digital. We have to rethink this entire format. What is going to work and resonate? And let's just try it out, ask for feedback and then switch it up next time. So no one's going into it thinking they know everything, but they're going to do their best to change it up a bit and then ask Others, what can we do to make this better? Mm-hmm. And for podcasting, maybe the company doesn't have the best room or the best lighting or even some of the equipment. Do you think podcasting could be another avenue for businesses if there's an audience for it? A million percent. Not a day goes by that I don't have a client that says, I want interviews on podcasts. It's not just them creating it. They are looking for the content creators and the people with a listenership and a community and an audience to share their voice and their message. And one of the things we'll talk about when we're planning live streams, we'll say, is this a limited podcast recording opportunity? So this doesn't necessarily mean if you commit to a a podcast, it has to be a forever podcast. It can be a moment in time. So in alignment with this particular live stream, we are also releasing a four-part podcast series that has now been edited from content created during that day. So you're not doing two separate recordings, although you could, but you can look for opportunities to integrate that as something additional. Mm-hmm. And then what is the digital PR landscape going to look like after the lockdown? Is there going to be more emphasis on crisis calm and making sure that businesses have now pandemic in their crisis calm? Is there going to be more about digital content, live streaming, podcasting, and being experts in that? I wish I had that answer, but I can tell you what I think. 
And I do think you're right that there will be pandemic planning built into crisis comms. I think it has to be. I think it already is in most places, even if they haven't recorded it officially yet. People have been functioning in this for the past X number of weeks now. So it's going to be inherent in what we do. And if nothing else, this is an important drill. If it didn't directly impact you yet, you don't necessarily know if you have a bubble that will burst in the next three weeks or, or three months. So it's important to think, think about. I think overall, especially from a comms standpoint, it is just mindfulness and awareness. Until everyone is impacted by something, it's hard to feel directly impacted. But I can't imagine there's a company out there that doesn't have one employee or at least one customer impacted like this. And it's likely they have hundreds, if not thousands. So that will be, um, that'll be important. Mm -hmm. And are we seeing kind of more of a rise of community-based or community-focused content than we have before? Because I know we did a little bit, but it seems like it's, there's a huge focus right now. There is. And I think a lot of brands have tried to own that space in their respective fields. But what I've really seen are just the organic rise of huge audiences in places, one of which is parents who are doing at-home schooling during this time, looking for creative outlets for children in tech and art and all, all of those other sorts of places. And that's just one quick example, but those niche areas are growing. I found a Facebook group yesterday that had 16,000 parents in it that was COVID related to creativity and learning during COVID. So there are all these other niche groups and audiences that have popped up that there may be opportunities to connect with in the future. I don't know, but I just know that this is something that wasn't there before. And now we have to look at the fact that there are more community groups than ever, and, and they're all serving very important purposes. And are we finally seeing a tipping point in digital-only collateral? I know that you said they're going kind of back to mail, but are we kind of seeing that tipping point where we're going to see way less of actual physical collateral? I don't think so. I think we'll see some trial and error, and we may get maybe a little dip in there at some point if, if more people stay home. But I think with more people home, I don't know if I'm outside the target audience, but I feel like I've never had more digital information at my disposal in any other time. No, 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 I agree with you. I basically have Feedly, Flipboard. I'm always on the news. <laughs> it's impossible, I feel like, to to really shut it down. It is. You always want to be on top of it, especially as a podcaster or a PR person. You always want to be on top of the news so you aren't blindsided by the news. Exactly. And then fun question for you. How would you brand yourself from a like post pandemic or like, we're finally getting out. We're finally free. We can do things with obviously precautions. Uh, I guess the way I always think about myself is, is digital PR and a digital PR correspondent and consultant. I've remained in that sector, but the thing that I think other people would say about me that I notice I do in times of crisis, I gather resources and create lists. I feel like that is my go-to. Whatever that is, whatever I can compile to help others in my industry or help journalists or help those in need, that becomes part of inherently what I do. I don't know that it's something I would ever shout from the rooftop and make into a brand. I just think that is my behavior. And I hope 
And as I've always hoped that people would hear my name and know what it is that I do. And if they know that I can help and I can help get the media attention, I can help others in need, then that is a win. I don't know. Shouting from the rooftops is your expert list person. I mean, I'm not, so. <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I'll keep it online. How about that? All right. So that's a fair compromise. <laughs> Final thoughts? I think this has just been an intense time of learning. I said if there was some sort of collegiate degree for the amount of learning I've done during this time, I would have a new title and some new letters at the end of my name. It has been truly spending a lot of time educating, thinking, strategizing, learning. I go to bed every night with my head completely exhausted from the amount of thinking and executing on things that I've done every day. And this time, I think it's forced me to learn new things and become better at my craft. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Sarah, for coming on to PR360 and sharing your knowledge to our listeners. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. And thank you for listening. And as always, please subscribe to PR360 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. And join us next week as we talk to another expert in the PR industry. All right, guys, have a good week. See you next week. Later.